Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified more victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them, and that he was also a necrophiliac. You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey, 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 welcome in to another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby Gab, will not be joining us tonight. Uh, however, we're going to have... Um, one of our good friends of ours filling in tonight. Uh, his name is Big Game James. Shout out to Big Game James. Hey, it's good to be here, and I'm really interested in this particular. Absolutely. Well, before we give you guys the details of the story, we gotta let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on our Instagram page, our Facebook page. You can find us on iHeartRadio, iTunes, all those good things. Just type in the grinding true crime podcast and there you can listen to some of our previous episodes especially the one we did last week with the jeffrey dahmer you got to listen to that one very sick very detailed and very good but um that's where you can find us now with that all said we are going to get into tonight's episode and tonight our man todd is going to break down this story and todd has an interesting one one that hits home to us because we're from california this one is going to be called, what's it called, Todd? The Skid Row Slasher. Woohoo! Let's get into it. Okay, so <clears throat> I don't know if anyone outside of California listening, because we got listeners from around the world. Um, Skid Row, if you Google it, is probably the derelict area in Los Angeles, California. It's 54 blocks long. Skid Row has been around since the early 40s in some parts. It's, it's it primarily started after the Great Depression, and it's in the downtown area of Los Angeles to where people just don't have any place to live. And over the years, as things progressed with drugs and alcohol issues, it used to just be people either down on their luck or alcoholics. And then it turned into homeless, then it turned into drug addicts, and then the also unfortunate situation, a lot of people with mental health issues are down there as well. Mm-hmm. And it's always been a crime-infested area, um, and Skid Row at at one point um, it, it has had anywhere it varies because it's hard to keep track of everybody, but it can vary from anywhere from six thousand to eight thousand to one one year ten thousand people homeless in fifty-four square blocks, you know, living in tent cities, <sighs> and um, it's very 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 depressing if you're ever in the los angeles area to go down there oh yeah Uh, the demographics for this area uh in 2019 the population was about 5,000 that they counted and it was 11 percent increase over the last two years and it was um seven percent were under the age of 18 uh one percent was 18 to 24 60 percent of them were 25 to 54 years old Nineteen percent, fifty-five to sixty-one years old, and ten percent, sixty-two years and older. And veterans, war veterans, made up almost ten percent of the population. Mm. 
So that that hits home. Uh, 12%, 12% were white, 58% black or African American, 2% Indian or Alaskan Native, Asian, 24%. Um, which, really? Yeah, which is pretty high. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Asian, 0. 0.63. Oh, <laughs> okay. That sounds more like it. Yeah, yeah my bad. <laughs> Hispanic was 24.53. Okay, that, that makes sense. So that it, it gives you a diverse, um, uh, what do you call it, description. Now, this part doesn't make any sense. The per capita income uh, was uh, between 14000 that they made per year. I'm guessing if you're on Skid Row, you don't have that much. So I don't know where they came up with that. Um, mm. But that's a basic breakdown of Skid Row. A lot of crime, a lot of homelessness. So this story will take, take us back a little bit. Um, it will be in between the years of the 1960s and 70s. Oh, man. Yeah. <clears throat> so this story is about the crimes on the less fortunate and also being not the sexiest for the media at the time to report on. And even know, or even now, they won't give priority. Um, after our little story lesson uh, that I just brought up, uh, giving you an outlook on Skid Row, let's uh, see how the story actually starts and who we're actually talking about here because this is going to be kind of a complex story that a lot of people haven't heard too much about. And our subject for tonight is Vaughn Greenwood. Vaughn Greenwood. Vaughn Greenwood. He was born January 1st, 1944 in a small town in Pennsylvania. Okay. The town is not known for, uh, exact town is not known to this day because his background is unlike most serial killers. Like, when Gabby brought up Jeffrey Dahmer, when I brought up uh, the Golden State Killer, we knew just about everything about how he was raised, where he grew up, his family life. This guy's background is not really known too much. And I believe there's a good reason for it. It's, okay. just, it's just they don't bring it up and they don't want to bring it up. So, and, I'll, and, and you'll, you'll get it as we go along. Um, so his public records aren't exactly divulged still to this day um here's what we do know about his past we okay. do we do know that he was given up for adoption at an unknown early age between two to five years old Dang. he was in many foster homes and he completed just up until the seventh grade before quitting um his eighth grade year of school Dang. um he just quit school one day in the eighth grade at, in the year 1956 and ran away from his foster home so what do you think he did a small kid or a, not a small kid he's eighth grade in 1956 what do you think he did go west he went west to California you guys are correct because I, I mentioned, yes, I, I mentioned <laughs> Los Angeles but <laughs> you know, I figured he'd go west I figured so. <laughs> well, you guys are right. He went on a very big adventure. He hitchhiked his way all the way to California, which took him two weeks. So that's not bad for a kid his age. Um, not bad at all. But the thing is, and the thing is that he encountered, which he didn't bring up too much details. All we know that he did some things that he's he wasn't proud of to get here. <clears throat> so there's some stuff that's left out that we will never know about. Um, so there's no record for him from an age gap of eight years 
So from the ages of 12 to 20, he's like off the radar. Like he doesn't exist. Dang. So he never tells this this story to the authorities or anybody else. Nobody knows this story. Nobody knows <clears throat> what he was doing for those eight years. Um, we do know that at some point in that time period, in the early 60s, he identifies as a gay or homosexual black man, which must have been extremely hard at the time uh, period because being black was, you were marked already in the, mm-hmm. in the that's that, that's the freaking hardest time in America with the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And then being gay at the same time? I mean, it was hard enough being gay in the 80s and early 90s. Imagine in the 60s and being black. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't, gays weren't as, as accepting as it is today back then. Yes. Now, if he, if we talked about in the other show, if he came out, you know, today and said hey i'm gay everyone would clap or they'd be like okay and if he came out and said hey i'm gay they would probably lynch him unfortunately you know what i mean that's just yeah. how, how bad it was um so it's speculated he was engaging in sex acts to survive and he really didn't have a job um until 1964 when he was working of all things in the fields of san Bernardino as a migrant worker uh picking crops oh yeah. He was close to he was close to home for me now. He's right around the corner from you. Uh-oh. <laughs> so let's let's talk murder. Um Uh-oh. So on November 13th, 1964, cuz what happens when I mention a date? Somebody getting clipped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. On the famous footsteps of what do you think in Los Angeles? What what famous monument in Los Angeles? If you guys City get this. Hall. No, not City Hall, but that's close. Um, ah, it's close to City Hall, huh? Uh, ooh. I don't know. Okay, uh, the City Library. You know the famous L.A. City Library? Yeah. That's close to the Skid Row. That's like, you know, only a couple... That's over there in downtown, too. Uh-huh. Um, the body of David Russell, age not known, was discovered in the morning by city workers. How was... How was the homeless body found? You say because David Russell was a homeless man at that time. What do you? How, do you, how was it found? How, yeah, was how, it, it, how was the body found? I'm gonna say his neck was slashed. Okay. I'm gonna say there was body parts on on um, on each of the steps. <laughs> no, but uh, I, th- I think Matt got closest. Um, he, David's body had stab wounds on his throat. So his throat was slashed. He's correct. But he had deep knife wounds in his head, chest, and lower abdomen. He was stabbed over 70 times. Damn. Good God. His throat was slashed from ear to ear. Good God. And that's not the worst part of it. Let me guess. He was cut in his butt. No. (laughs) Okay. No. No, what happened is um, the police were shocked to see that of all things, salt was spread around his body, like and not the not the like you know the little salt the, the the real you know like the restaurant salt you put on pretzels. Yeah, iodized salt. Yeah, iodized. There you go. Iodized thick salt was all around his body, sort of like a ritual. And um, his shoes were taken off, and there it was like they were pointing to his his head, 
like they were on one side of each uh, you know each side of his head they were like the what shoes the? yeah and two small paper cups were filled with the victim's blood next to the body body yo this man is sick yes um first of all hold on interesting question Uh i know they're homeless and all but Mm -hmm. who has the time and energy to do all that and who does not get caught doing all that i know you're on skid row but somebody should have seen that well i mean was this at night yes this was night he he just planned it out he's probably been thinking about doing something like this for a long time and he just he had a plan Man. And whatever plan it was, it baffled the police. But however, as outrageous as that murder was, because we at the same time, you know, or just a few years later, or at the same time, or the few years later, the Manson, I, I forget when the Mansons were around. They uh, did some pretty, 60s, early 70s. they did some shocking things, but because it was, it was white and in a rich area, the cops paid attention. Mm-hmm. This the is, <clears throat> yeah, the artillery they were using. Because this man, I believe, was an African-American and he was in in a homeless, you know, on the footsteps of the city library. Not really a big deal. As as atrocious as the murder was, this didn't get no pub. I mean, we still don't we still don't know the man's name. That's jacked up. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we don't know the man's name. They was Um, like Johnson. Just uh, just sprinkle some crack on them and let's go. <laughs> They're all like, "Well, Johnson, he's already been sprinkled salt." You know? <laughs> Good point. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they already did our job. Um, the police immediately thought they had a satanic ritual or a cult killing. Yeah. Mm. So, despite all this stuff, um, there was, you know, and and that happened, and outrageously, you know, the the shocking the shockness of it. This didn't slow Vaughn down. He didn't he didn't even wait one day. Like less than 24 hours later, barely turning November 14, 1964, the body of a 67-year-old uh, Benjamin Hornberg in the bathroom of a dingy motel was discovered on Skid Row. Wow. The transient had mustered up enough money to get a room for the night. So the poor guy had panhandled enough just to get a room and he's wound up he wound up uh is murdered in his own room um that the morning housekeeper came by and and, uh discovered the body and the body was in the bathtub with stab wounds all over the head again and the chest and again the deep throat slashing from ear to ear oh so at this time detectives remembered yesterday's case knew that they knew that they probably had a serial killer but did they sound the alarm? I don't think so. Not whatsoever. They did not. <laughs> they did not even alert the media. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, especially when they found the shoes pointing to the bathtub, in a, in a weird way, and a cup of uh, blood where the uh, soap was. See, so it was pretty much the same thing, just different locations, obviously. Yep. Yep. Wow. <clears throat> so then. A, a very quick twist. Uh-oh. You know I love them twists. Oh, yeah. You love them twists. Um, as quickly as the murder started, they stopped. They stopped. Um, Vaughn would leave the Los Angeles area the next day. He would hitchhike and ride trains and, and wound up in Chicago working in a uh, some sort of factory for about a year to two years. Mm-hmm. 
And two years later, in 1966, Bond would be in a relationship with a man who was 48 years older than him. So in his what? Yeah, he was in his 60s, or, or, or close to his 70s. Um, he one day snapped at the older man when he tried to get some money off of him. The man said no. Bond slashed his throat just out of nowhere, just slashed his throat. Um, wow. But the guy didn't die. The 70-year-old uh, was able to get to the police while holding his uh, neck, and he was able to identify Vaughn, and Vaughn was charged and arrested for the attempted murder. Mm. So slashing a man's throat, how many years do you think Vaughn got? 20. I would hope he got 20, but knowing that the history of our cases with dumb polices, I'm going to say he got three years. No, no. Actually, you know, I have to give the James on this one. He got 20 years. Oh, wow. But he served eight. Oh, <laughs> good behavior. Yeah, good behavior for that throat slasher. Good guy. <laughs> wow. See, the way he was doing the murders with the cuffs and putting everything in place. Yeah. He must have been really good in jail. That Oh, yeah, yeah, you're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did such a great job putting everything in order and nice and neat. You know, besides a little OCD with the way he folds his <laughs> uniform. <laughs> <laughs> So um, this is where he returns to Los Angeles in 1974. So just released in Chicago, he's like heading west. Um, he goes back to his old tricks. So in row. yeah, just in time for the holiday season, December 1st, he murders a 46 year old alcoholic on Skid Row. So this dude is just drinking, having a, you know probably scrounged up enough money to buy a bottle of you know rum or vodka or something, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe even a few beers. And um, guess where he kills this guy? In broad daylight, right there in the opening. No. Wow. At, at, it's at night. But... Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh, skid Row. Skid Row. I'm thinking of Skid Row. I'm going to say by the... By City say, Hall this time. Yeah, I'm going to say by City Hall. City Hall? Wrong again, guys. <laughs> but, but you know what? I would have giving you major props had you got it he killed him in the exact same spot he killed the dude years prior on are the, you serious on the, the porch library. steps of the library wow <laughs> yeah what is it about that steps i don't know maybe he had some uh uh what is it um he owed money for non-returned books or something and pissed him off but he is so prompt and exact of where man yes and so <clears throat> the police when they came to investigate there was no cups in the blood this time, but the throat was slashed from ear to ear. And some cops were like, nah, this can't be the same. He's literally on the same step as he killed the dude years prior. You wow. If that's the same detective. That's all I'm about to say. I wonder if it's the same years, detective after years eight years. Before that. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Now, I have a question. Okay. I don't know if it mentions it, but you mentioned earlier that he was homosexual. Did it show any signs of sexual... Uh, abuse on these men that were slashed? Police back then were not open to be looking for that kind of thing on another man. Wow. Now, Makes if, sense. If it was a woman, they would be like, hey, let's check her to see if she was raped. Yep. They're not going to check a man's back door. They're just not. <laughs> Especially back then. They're like, I've never seen mine myself. How am I supposed <laughs> to see that man's? You know what I mean? So it's just not going to happen. Got you. Got you. That's the mentality back then. So, okay. 
So just two blocks away from that on 6th Street. So you guys might know where that's at. It's a, yes, I do. Yeah. So in an alley, a 47-year-old homeless man was found with his throat slashed and his shoes off pointing to him. This guy was a uh, Russian immigrant, Moses Yakantchevich, um, was found. Good job. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was found a day though after he was murdered. So he was like behind a dumpster. So his body was left uh, not in the open. Wow. So that's four already. That's four. And one attempt. Yeah. So again, no connection by the police to any other murder at this point with this new guy. Then three days later, on December 11th. Found in an abandoned building, a body of a 54-year-old Arthur Dahslet was found with his neck slashed almost to the point of his head being decapitated. Oh, wow. Jesus Christ. Yes. Again, no tie to any of the other murders. Not alerted the media. We just move on. Um, then December 22nd, so 11 days later, David Perez, 42 years old, homeless, was found in the bushes just outside the library. Wow. Something about that library. Yeah. He must have been sleeping down there or something. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't... Um, again, his throat was slashed. At this point, there was no extra police patrolling the area. No undercover task force. No media coverage. No coverage at all. Wow. Yeah. That's the... That's, it's as if they just, all right, they just don't exist. Yeah, yeah. So he takes a break for, uh, you know, New Year's, you know, Christmas, you know, celebrates somehow. Um, so January 9th, 1975, a 58-year-old Kazmir Stralnowski was found dead on the hotel, uh, on his hotel bed, hands folded, laying on his uh, back, throat slashed. So there's another one. Wow. Then just eight days later, 46-year-old Robert Shanahan was found seven days later in his hotel by his housekeeper or housekeeping. Seven days later? Yeah. And this is Dang. where this is what I question, guys. You guys have been to hotels and motels, stayed the night, whatever, right? Absolutely. When you put a do not disturb sticker on your door, they don't listen. Housekeeping. <laughs> They yeah. still not. <laughs> and they still come in and change your sheets even when you tell them not to. <laughs> Seven days. Seven dude. days? That's some lazy housekeeping. Man. Yeah. <sighs> well, um, he was um, he was also found with a bayonet. You know what a bayonet is, right? Yes, I do know what a bayonet is. At the end of those old timey war guns. Yes, sir. That was sticking out his chest. Oh wow. Good God. Yes. That was still in his chest when they found him. <clears throat> um, then two days later, a 49-year-old Samuel Suarez was found murdered in his fifth room, hotel room. And keep in mind, all these killings are in the Skid Row area. No <laughs> connection. So you have a, a Skid Row area, which is technically now 54 blocks, but back then it was a little smaller. Mm -hmm. And you've had multiple deaths and just nothing. They're not putting any of this together. Wow. So fast forward to January 29th. George Frias was murdered in his own home. Now here's where it changes. In his own home? In his own home. 
Oh man. George Frias lived just outside of of Skid Row, a few miles away in West Hollywood. Oh. And West Hollywood is, is known, known for, for you know it. Yes. And for the all those homosexualities. Yeah, you have a, a big homosexual um uh what is it? Uh, community. Community in the area, which even back then was taboo, yeah. but they still live their life. And, you know, if that's what they want, that's what they want. I mean, we're not here to judge or nothing. But back then it was taboo. And, but yeah. they still, you know, and, and there, here's where the sex, I think they, this is why this story isn't that big because back then they didn't want to promote this. Like you can be killing blonde white women or other women as a, you know, as a sexual predator doing cult things for some reason that was sexy to the media they didn't want to report on a homeless person number one and number two a homosexual those didn't matter to them yeah even though these were atrocities and these were poor people losing their lives and it sucked they refused to to report on it now at this time mr von greenwood looked like a linebacker for the pittsburgh steelers he had a very healthy <laughs> he had a very healthy uh fro 1970s uh, 60s fro um, he was built like a linebacker. He was uh, six feet. I forget how many pounds. He was a big, stunning-looking dude. He looked like a bouncer. So mm. in the gay community, that's very attractive. So he, mm. went, he went home with this man, and I guess something was said, or he snapped, and that was it. Wow. But they would not say it was a homosexual murder or that it, was, it had to do with, with sex. They just said a man entered a man's home and killed him. So... But the police um, saw that there was no forced entry, so they were thinking he's a friend, not a lover. Mm -hmm. But still, mm -hmm. you know, this caught their attention because this guy was not George Frias was a regular community person. No one knew he was gay, but that's still, you know, it's it's happening now outside of Skid Row. So the cops are taking note. Um. At this, uh, you know, at this point, the cops were thinking that it might be a sexual predator uh, or sexual uh, w worker that was behind it. But the vo but the people, as as I just described Vaughn to you guys, the people and the witnesses were describing him as a white male. A and, white male? Yeah, they were saying that there was just no black people in the neighborhood, so it couldn't have been a black guy. It had to be a yeah. white guy. Yeah. So the cops were looking for a white guy. And that was Vaughn, that was music to his ears. Yeah, Vaughn was a big, buff, dark black man, so that <laughs> didn't fit the description. <laughs> he literally walked by all the detectives. Morning. <laughs> yeah, they're all keep, keep on walking, sir. Keep on walking, sir. We're not looking for you. <laughs> We're looking for a white man. Have you seen this white man for once? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he probably passed out. He's like, no way. <laughs> um, I'm getting away with this. Yeah. And uh, so just two days later, January 31st, 1975, Vaughn killed his uh, youngest victim, 34-year-old Clyde Hayes, who was a mechanic in the West Hollywood area, was found in, the, in his own garage, stabbed in the face and throat, and his, um, his throat slashed and his body mutilated. Um, what? But not much else is described other than the, the cups of blood was also found on the scene. And... Um, so again, this was in West Hollywood, or West Los Angeles, and the cops now believe that this one was a rendezvous of some sort, and uh, something happened sexually, and the, the man was stabbed again. So finally, the police are starting to put the 
the uh, the stuff that was happening in Skid Row together with this. And Man. yeah, and so um, the police began ramping up their their coverage for the first time in this whole thing. And they were figuring out that this wasn't just a random, um, you know, a perpetrator. This is someone that's been doing this for a while. So that didn't stop Vaughn. The very next day, Vaughn broke into a house of William Grand and, and his quote-unquote roommate. Vaughn attacked both men and uh, with a hatchet. He cut he cut him up a couple times or stabbed him with a hatchet. Hey. And before having i guess the hatchet broke the second time he hit the the uh, the lover and he just got tired of him and he threw both of them outside the sliding glass door so that shows you his power he just yeah. he just threw him through like you know how jazzy jeff on fresh prince goes out the door oh. <laughs> yeah it was like that i was like ah out the door Dang, man yeah so um at this point being in west hollywood a lot of rich neighborhoods um, the commotion woke up the neighbors. They called the police and the Hollywood. Um, and in Hollywood, all you have to say is there's a black attacker in a white neighborhood and the police were on their way. In seconds. In mm-hmm. seconds. What? So here's where our story takes a dramatic twist. Here we go. I love the twist. Yes. So we're going to listen now to a five-minute clip. It's exactly five-minute clips. This is Burt Reynolds, the uh, movie star. And this is his encounter with the skid row slasher on the diana uh dinosaur so back in the early 80s he tells of a, of how he met the skid row slasher well, how many, how we were together and and i as usual either didn't come home or did come home or whatever and on this particular night i don't know why i came home at about three in the morning. And there was a man called, I'm gonna, I'm gonna condense this story real fast. There's a man called the Skid Row Slasher. Oh. He had killed, oh, I forgot. they think about 23 people. And he had given some drugs down below my house. And they said, you know who lives up there? And for I some reason, that, that was happening. He went up and waited in my closet for me. But I didn't come home. So he got bored waiting in the closet. And he went up to the house above me and killed one guy and cut the other guy real bad. Oh. Slid down the hill. And then I came home. It was then 3 o'clock in the morning. And you remember, I used to leave the doors wide open. Oh, yeah. And I never had a weapon in the no. house. And I went in and was lying down and crawling on the floor was one of the guys from, from the house above. With his stomach wide open. He was holding his inside. And I looked down. And he couldn't talk, and I jumped up, and there wasn't 911 in those days, or whatever the equivalent was. And I looked out the door, and standing about 15 feet from me was a skid row slasher with a machete, a Clint hat, and a Serapi. Right. He's staring at me. I'm staring at him, he's staring at me. I closed the door, and then I looked for a weapon. I tried a knife, a bottle, or whatever. And he slowly, it was a great acting lesson, because he slowly walked across and disappeared. Helicopters came and cops came and oh, I know that. what they found out was the reason they knew it was him was because every time he had murdered somebody, he had taken his shoes, which only these two cops, played by Walter Matthau and Peter Falk, <laughs> uh, took their shoes and pointed them at the head. And only they knew that particular, the press didn't know about it. So they said it's the 
stupidest question. And can, did you see him? I said, yeah, I, I looked right in his eye. There he is. So then I went down to do WWE and Dixie Dancing. Mm. They called me and said, we got him. Because when he slid down the hill, his food stamps came out. And we tracked him to his address. And will you come and identify him? I said, yeah. I come back, I fly me in, they bring me down the bottom. And, and I must say, that nobody knew about this. I was in the basement. I come up and I'm standing back there. I'm standing with some cop who, who was a very nice guy. And he said, when you walk out, look right at him. Don't even do that. I said, I'm not going to do something. He said, look right at him. I said, I don't worry about it. So I came out and I looked right at him. And he looked like mm. O.J. Simpson would read for it and be too much of a fairy. <laughs> this guy was, I mean, his neck was straight and, and he lifted weights. He'd been in prison about 23 years of his life and he did nothing but lift weights. So I sat down in the chair and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and he's smiling. Well, I smile back at him and the public defender gets up and he says, you know who this is? And I said, how do you know who he is? Because I saw him. And he had my clothes on. What do you mean your clothes? He said, well, that was my Serapi that Clint Eastwood gave me from the good does I mean, That's right. And I said, I recognize it. And I said, there's a clean slip inside. If you look, I never could figure out why they did this. Instead of Reynolds, it says R-E-Y-O. The guys blanched and they, they took it out and the judge said, hmm. So then he said, well, you're an actor, aren't you? And I said, well, the jury's still out about that. <laughs> <laughs> I got a very nice laugh. And, and the judge said, this is not just a nice show, Mr. Reynolds. Just answer the question. I said, yes. And, and so we went back and forth and he had my identification list. So it was very short, but I, I had nailed it. Significant. As I got up, as I'm walking by him, I look, and as he's looking at me, he's writing. But he's not looking down, he's looking at me and writing. And as I came behind him, I looked over his shoulder and it said, probably about 125 times, Gilbert Reynolds, Gilbert Reynolds, Gilbert Reynolds. I know when this guy, you know, plucks his eyebrows. But the story, is, the end of the story is, if I hadn't been with you, I would have come home probably at nine. And he would have been there, and uh, I'd have my shoes pointed at me right now. And they said the best movie he ever did was um, The Wild One. <laughs> So that was Burt Reynolds. Wow. Wow. And had, so he encountered the actual man himself. Man. Yeah. Um, so we would have maybe lost him had he been there a little earlier. And you, for real, describing the guy coming down with his guts hanging out. I mean, sort That's, of, yeah. Like, like Forrest Gump when what's his name was, uh, his, his guts oh, were. That. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's, that's what, that's what it probably looked like. His intestine. Yeah, probably. Dang, dude, that's the man. That's pretty trippy, right? Yeah. So um, after he, Burt Reynolds describes what, you know, he identifying him and all this other stuff, um, he was convicted on nine counts or nine of the 11. Now, Burt Reynolds says he killed like 23. Yeah. He did not kill 23. But um, he was. I mean, maybe they could try to maybe link some to him, but as far as I know, he only killed 11, which is a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think happened to him after he was convicted of the, the victims? 
Um, you said this story has a twist. I don't know if it was another twist. No, so no. I'm gonna say. That was, oh, that's it. Oh. Um, I'm gonna say he got the death penalty. Same. Same. You would be both wrong. Whoa. He did not get the death penalty. He is currently a year younger than my dad right now. He's 76. Yeah, yeah he's he's Three. he's still alive, but he's here in California at the California Men's uh, Jail in San Quentin. Oh. So he's locked away for life. But uh, a guy who later would, you know, and he's been super duper quiet. They've tried to interview him. They've tried... The media has tried to interview him. He does not talk. He just won't talk. Only in passing did he let a fellow prisoner know at one point that he did drink some of the blood of what one, of one of the victims. Yes. So that is all we know. He hasn't said anything else. He hasn't said nothing. The guy has been mute since 1977. Jesus. Yes. So, um, yeah, 11 murdered and one survivor out of the whole mess. That is Von Greenwood, the Skid Row slasher. Wow. Yeah. I learned Very interesting story, man. Very interesting story. That's I close to that, home. That's yeah. cool. I learned how the media coverage has changed over the years. Mm-hmm. The police coverage on victims, mm-hmm. as you refer to and the way we look at people in society and how as in Burt Reynolds case mm-hmm. you never know and you have to be prepared and sometimes you're lucky absolutely but it also goes to show you how dangerous that place could be Skid Row yeah and that could be in any decade any decade yeah. cuz you never know people's mentality mm-hmm. and it started when he was given up at five mm-hmm. with the adoption. So um, it just starts from there. If you don't have the parents, if you don't have the guardians, you're, you're messed up mentally. Absolutely. Yeah. And it just goes in, uh, it goes in any time frame, any decade. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just messed up and you have a story like this. And the, again, another thing that shocked me was the, uh, the detail on all the crimes with yes. the shoot, mm-hmm. the cups, mm-hmm. uh, slashing, sla- where the slashings were. He enjoyed what he did. I, I'm, I'm just blown away by the, uh, the, uh, the Bru- slickness and the, the brutality. The, yeah, just, just everything was the same mm-hmm. every time, pretty much, except the, yeah. the, uh, the bayonet. Yeah, except mm-hmm. that. That was crazy. But- what you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean I, I, I just think like kind of to piggyback on what uh, Big Game James said is it really depends on who the victims are because let's be real, man. Like you mentioned, uh, the one that was in West Hollywood, he kind of got the media's attention because of his ethnicity and mm-hmm. being that it was a skid row. I've been down Skid Row. I'm quite sure you've been down Skid Row. James, I don't know if you've been, but it's bad. And be real, you probably would forget about those people. If someone, you know, you, well, he probably just had a fight with someone and it don't matter. He didn't have family. It really shows how the media 
looks at status, man, and see where you are in life to even care. Because, dude, he murdered about, what, eight people before the media even said, okay, we're dealing with the same person. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's just, it, it, it's, it sucks. I understand it. I kind of get it. You know what I'm saying? But it still sucks. And Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. It's just the fact that, you know, like, like this case doesn't get much media coverage to this day. And yeah. like, we, we don't know, like a lot of people don't know the Skid Row slasher. Um, Never heard of it till today. Yeah. Okay. On this page, I brought it up on many other Facebook forums and stuff like that. And a lot of people didn't know. And, you know, let's just say for instance, Burt Reynolds was murdered that night. This would be, he would you be would one. Of, yeah. You would know. This would be one of, you would definitely know one of California's worst serial killers. Cause he took out, Burt Reynolds in his prime, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But uh, but you don't know him because it didn't happen. It just you know, it was a, yeah. like like James said, it was a coincidence or like a, a a fateful moment that he just happened not to be there at that time. And when he's yeah. right, when he's writing, I mean, how that would freak out Burt Reynolds probably till he died. Uh, the fact that he saw the dude writing, "I got to kill Burt Reynolds," "I got to kill Burt Reynolds." That's <laughs> alarming. <laughs> By the way, good good piece and actually playing the the interview with uh burt reynolds oh thank you thank you did a little yeah. on that so pretty good that was the first time we've done that pretty good yes sir so yeah. that that's our show for today that was the skid roll slasher yes sir. i feel like he should have gotten deaf mm -hmm. because yep. it doesn't matter who the victims were what he did was very heinous and he knew what he was doing and he didn't care what he was doing. And despite them being in that condition, despite them probably not having family or having mental mental issue, they were still human beings and they didn't deserve to be murdered like that. So he should have gotten death penalty, but at least he's tucked away for life in San Quentin and he won't be hurting anybody and talking to anybody for the rest of his life. Let me add on just a couple of things. With, um... With the way society was back then, they didn't care about if you had mental health, if problems or mm -hmm. whatnot. They didn't mm -hmm. care about your past. If you killed someone, you killed someone, and it was instant, you know, death penalty mm -hmm. or life in yeah. mm -hmm. So much different now. Absolutely. If you're crazy mentally, like they say, you know, you get a pass. Yeah, there's insanity, please. Right. Now, back then, that wasn't the case. And I was really shocked to hear uh, the verdict and you know, where he is now, where he should be. Yeah, he didn't get the death penalty. <laughs> where he... I that, mean, if you think crazy. if you think about it, Manson, and I bring back Manson again, yeah. because Manson got the death penalty, but he didn't, you know, he didn't wind up serving it because, you know, California's California. That's a whole other story. Yep. But he got the death penalty, and he didn't actually commit a murder. Now, he told people to commit murder, but he didn't commit a murder. He never... Big difference. Yeah, big difference. <laughs> Mm -hmm. he, got, he got the death penalty wound up on death row but this guy got like you know forever and a day um but he's still breathing you know yeah i i, I think that's an atrocity um in itself uh but yeah some people are pro death penalty some aren't i just think when there's when there's overwhelming dna when there's overwhelming um you know there's no turning back you know this is a dude 100 percent. the death the death penalty should come into play um i agree but if there's a chance a dude is, you know, well, that's why they have appeals processes too, I guess. But, you know. Yeah. I think if the death penalty was 
back in its full form like it was back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, they'll chop your head off with the guillotine. I think if that was still in effect, crime, it wouldn't be eradicated, but it would definitely be Tame. less. Yeah, because the electric chair scared the crap out of people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. so they they ran that in Texas to what, the 60s or 70s? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, that freaked a lot of people. And then over there in Texas, I mean, they don't play. I mean, you, you usually spend about three to 10 years on death row and you're done, you're cooked. So yep. they don't, they don't mess around here in, you know, Los Angeles. We've, we've talked about a couple or California, a couple um, uh, people like we did the Stainer brothers, uh, you know, Carrie Stainer with all those murders. He got the death penalty. He's still sitting on death penalty or death row. So, um, you know, when we did um, what's his name. Um, the uh, night stalker, he died on death row. You know, he did, he wasn't murdered. You know, he, he wasn't taken out on death row. He just died of, you know, cancer, I think it was, or something. Like yeah. That. But, <sighs> I guess it's just wow. something to rot. Yeah. But that's our story. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for tonight. That was the skid row slasher. And we thank you, Todd, for breaking down that story for us. Mm-hmm. And thank you, James, for filling in for tonight we appreciate your input well thank you for letting me be here and i, I learned a lot <laughs> one one thing I, I can i can see where if i was a gay person i think i'd be appalled by the way the police handled that absolutely so but I'm absolutely not, yeah, yeah that's my final thought so absolutely. thank you for having yeah, me no problem no problem because uh they deserve rights too everyone absolutely. does to be honest so it doesn't matter what you are who you are or what color you are Rights is rights. Absolutely. With that being said, to listen to some of our past shows, uh, just go to our, um, our Facebook page, our Instagram page, iHeartRadio, iTunes, all those good places that you listen to. Just type in Grinding True Crime Podcast, and you can listen to some of our previous shows that I've done, Todd and my wife has done. They're really good. And I'm not just speaking it because we do it but because the fans say so. And thank you for the fans that listen and, and support us from all over the countries or wherever you're listening to. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. So for Maddie, Matt, Todd Fox, James, this is the Grinding True Crime Podcast. <laughs>